Hello and welcome to the Simply Intuitive podcast. My name is Michelle Pilipich. I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and your host of this show where we're going to talk about all things intuitive eating, health at every size, non-diet approach to wellness, and just how to be your healthiest self without any crazy rules or restrictions. So today I had a chat with a peer colleague, and lucky for me, I get to also call her a friend, Constance Weissmuller. Um, She's a dietitian who is pretty big on Instagram. You might follow her at Constantly Eating. And recently in her, well, I shouldn't even say recently, I don't know how long it's been, but as part of her nutrition career, she's not just a private practice dietitian, she also is a nutrition professor at a local college in Colorado where she lives. So I wanted to talk to Connie about how she teaches nutrition because it's so different from the norm and she really is so thoughtful and intentional with her curriculum and how she educates her students. And what's cool about this whole conversation is that it really can apply to anyone, to just the general public because she's not teaching a dietetics program. So it's not nutrition for future dietitians. She does teach future future healthcare professionals, but even if you're not going to be a healthcare professional, this conversation is going to help you because we talk about big picture health, wellness, nutrition, some myth busting, what you need to know, what you don't need to know, and it's just a really refreshing perspective on health. So I hope you enjoy it and let's get into the chat with Connie. All right, we are here with Connie today, private practice dietitian, nutrition professor, social media presence, Connie. (laughs) Welcome. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, Thanks for having me. I'm I'm so excited to be here. Um, My name is Connie Weissmuller. I think professionally people know me as Constance, so if you try and Google me, (laughs) that's what will come up. I own my own practice in Denver, Colorado, where I see local Denver clients and people all across Colorado in person and virtually, depending on you know distance. And then I also see people virtually across the U.S. Um, and then, like you mentioned, I also teach uh, nutrition at community college, and it's it just brings me so much joy. So looking forward to hopefully progressing in my teaching career in the next year or so here, maybe expanding where I teach, but for right now, really enjoying that. And um, I think I think those are the, the two main things I do. Sometimes, I used to be a little bit more active on social media, yeah, but um, life, you know, in the world, it feels so overwhelming these days, and I really am yeah. focused on my clients' well-being, yeah. you know, and so I think that's just, I've been in real life more often than, than not. Which is amazing. I love that. Yeah. So I'm excited to hear all the updates because last I saw you, we were both in LA and life has changed a lot. Both of us since then. (laughs) Seriously. Oh my gosh. How long ago was that? Like three years? Yes. Three years. And it feels like we've met in person more than just that, but it was so brief. (laughs) Yeah. I think, well, because I think we hung out multiple times in LA, but did we not meet prior to that? No, 
Oh. It was like a true Instagram friendship. <laughs> That's how that happens, though. It's like, yeah, I know you on social media, so uh, I've already vetted you, you know? <laughs> right. Like, I know you. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like we were just having so many random things in common pop up. And I was like, wait, me too, me too, me too. I have to meet totally. you. And then totally. from there. So, uh, yeah, since you've been in Colorado, you're now teaching, which is amazing. It seems like you are made for it. I also love seeing your teacher and clinician outfits on TikTok. It's majorly inspiring me. So fun. <laughs> yeah, it seems amazing. So I wanted to talk to you about that today, about teaching nutrition, what you see as the flaws and challenges and things to bring to the space, because I have heard from so many clients, I'm sure you have heard from so many clients and students about the insane assignments people will have in their nutrition classes of tracking their calories and doing food diaries and all of this stuff. So I want to just kind of open it up to you and we'll chat and see where the conversation takes us. What are you seeing in nutrition education? What is your goal and mission? Like, how are you tweaking things in your class? Tell us what you want to tell us. I love this. And when when you texted me to kind of talk about this subject, um, I didn't realize how how passionate I was to, to share because I only do it in my small little, you know, teaching bubble, but there are, I think a lot of flaws with nutrition education as a whole. And I think that could, we could talk for hours on that, like, especially even what we learned in school as registered dietitians. Um, but that's not what I do. So I don't teach in a dietetic program. I might like to do that one day, but I actually really like teaching the allied health professionals. So most of my students are actually going to nursing school and um, yeah, so they're studying a variety of sciences and then they need to take nutrition as a prereq to get into the, you know, higher level classes. And so I actually think it's, it's better to be spreading this nutrition information to people that you wouldn't necessarily expect because we, we just need more um, accurate nutrition information in healthcare as a whole. And I feel like the natural place would be to go to a dietitian and ask, but I think it's even better to educate, um, you know, our, our entire healthcare system. Does that yeah. make sense? And do you know, do you know if those students will then get more nutrition courses in the nursing program or are you like their one touch point? I'm kind of their one, one touch point. Wow. So I teach a lot. I teach a lot very quickly because I yeah. know that I'm their one touch point. Um, yeah. They'll learn, you know, like how to hook up an enteral feed or something, but that's not even something that, mm-hmm. like we would calculate that in school, right? But we wouldn't know how to hook that up. So I think they're on that like opposite end. But um, right. so I think when we have this conversation, I'm just speaking more towards general nutrition classes as a whole. Like a lot of people get to take yeah. one in college. I think I took one. That's kind of how I was exposed. Uh, did you take one before you went? And I did took that? one. So I took one. It was an elective. It wasn't something required. It was the only nutrition course at my school. And I took it my senior spring because someone told me it was an easy A. And I was like, yeah. I need a class. And I was interested. It, it did genuinely sound fun to me. Um, but as far as I know, it, it wasn't a super popular class because there wasn't a nutrition major. So yeah, yeah, kind of lacking. And in high school, I don't think I remember really getting any nutrition. I didn't get anything in high school. Nada. Yeah. Which I think is kind of crazy now that we 
think about it. Cause then I guess you'd have to learn from your parents and hope that they have a baseline, you know, n- nutrition education, right. which. Right. And then in some ways I'm glad that I didn't have a high school nutrition class just because of what I've heard they look like typically. Oh <laughs> so yeah. yeah. And thinking about that, like, was there a curriculum that you were given to like, here's what you have to teach? Sort of. I was given the textbook that uh, the college I teach at like uses and um, to say, here are the PowerPoints, here um, are, you know, here's a general outline. But once I was hired, I talked to my boss and was like, hey, what are your thoughts on me still teaching the basics of all these learning objectives? Because you have to meet those because uh, they're determined by some higher level in college, you know, board of something. And I was like, what do you think if I teach all these things plus add a mental health eating disorder section? Um, I add cultural cuisine. I add, like, I, I give her all these options and she's like, if you can fit it in, you're allowed. And so I'm so appreciative because I know a lot of schools don't do that. And so that's why I've stayed where I teach because, um, the, you know, the department values me and allows me to teach from my expertise as a dietitian. And because a lot of people that are teaching nutrition are also not dietitians, which doesn't mean that they don't know that they can't be knowledgeable. Um, But I, I think I I wanted to put my own spin on things, you know? Um, Yeah. And so what are those like main point, kind of like the lessons in your syllabus? Like what are the main things that you go through? Great question. So I always start out big picture. So I talk about the concept of health as a whole. And where nutrition plays a role. So I, I always give people an example of an iceberg. And um, the tip, like that top of the iceberg, I explain to my students, this is what you've probably thought of health as, right? You know, kind of what a person looks like, you know, yes, maybe what they eat, their exercise, like just like these general things that, you know, society t- teaches us. But then I teach them about the bottom of the iceberg that is ginormous and actually all the things that contribute to health and where and nutrition is one of those things but I'll point out that it's one of like 20 determinants of health. And I make sure to do a lot of education on the social determinants of health, access to healthcare, um, education level, income level, access to to like, um, I mean, just health literacy in general, you know, that we don't. Can you kind of go into this a little bit more? Like Mm -hmm. what are social determinants of health? What are all these things? Because this is something that I talk about with my individual clients as well. I'll ask most people in our first or second session, like, how do you define health? And yeah. it's typically always the physical things. Yeah. And it's really eye opening to people to get that full picture. So sure. what is that? And like, why do you go into it so much? Yeah. So, I mean, if you were to look on like, say the CDC website, you could see probably like 25 different determinants of health, but just, I think the things off the top of my head are, um, let's say access to, to healthcare. Um, what if you live in a rural area, um, where the closest urgent care or doctor's office is 50 miles away, like maybe in the town center or something, and, um, you can't have access to that. So that's a big deal. Um, maybe you don't even have access to, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables all the time, depending on where you are. So just one of the big social determinants is like access to blank, like and, mm-hmm. and different people have different access, right? And we can't, we can't not think about that when we talk about health. Right. And I think um, 
a big flaw that I've seen in, in typical nutrition education just on social media or in a nutrition class is um, this like lack of awareness that it's um, there, that there's more, right? And right. there's a level of privilege that comes to, um, that comes with being nutritionally stable, right? Having the, the financial resources to uh, have a variety of food, uh, maybe to, to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables that are higher in price than maybe canned, um, have different nutrition compositions, all that stuff. And I just feel like if I don't teach that, that's doing my students a disservice when they are going to see a variety of individuals in their healthcare career. Right. Yeah, it's so different from the Instagram wellness world and the messages are just so, so different. Like they couldn't be further apart. And yeah. something that came up recently, um, I was on the hurdle podcast with Emily Abadi, which was so fun. And she mentioned that a frequent criticism of intuitive eating, because mm -hmm. obviously both of us are intuitive eating dietitians mm -hmm. and that is really important, I believe. And that a criticism can be, it can't really be generalized to people without access to yeah. food. And I totally agree with that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I was curious, your thoughts sounds like you agree too. Yeah, I fully agree. I've been thinking about this a lot recently because um, owning, you know, my own practice and wanting to be accessible as accessible as possible, right. So that I get paid a living wage and can live my life and offer really good care and also, um, offer really low prices to people who need it or to accept insurance. You know, um, I have realized that just the variety of people that are coming to see me, you know, um, mm -hmm. And if they are in between jobs or just got out of treatment and don't have uh, like eating disorder treatment um, or substance abuse treatment and don't have the funds to be able to purchase food, maybe they need food stamps. Um, maybe they're in between care, like parents are divorced and they're you know shifting houses. There's a lot of inconsistencies there. And so intuitive eating isn't even on the table for us to talk about, right? I still can... I think that's the lens I view things through, um, but that's not the only lens, right? I, I would love for them to be able to be intuitive eaters, but I have to look at things realistically, you know, and know that, yeah, in order to be an intuitive eater, you need that bottom of this like pyramid, so to speak, of enough food. And yes, I like cannot count the number of times a week I say adequacy is the first priority. Yeah, <laughs> Always. For sure. Yeah. And that's just not a reality for a lot of people. And I mean, even now with inflation, I, I mean, it's nuts. Crazy. Crazy. Like, yeah. the amount of, like the amount of just like increase that my grocery bill has taken. And I feel really mm -hmm. fortunate to be like, okay, well, I, I, I can make that work, but I'm thinking about people who can't. Right. Oh, it bothers me. Right. We're going back to like the topics you teach. Yes. How does this how does this fit in that flow? Because you mm -hmm. include so much. So like these basics and then getting to, I'm assuming you also talk about intuitive eating with your students. Um, yes. Like where does the semester go? Yes. So, okay. I'll go back to there. So I think we got started on this because I told you that I open up my, all my, all my uh, classes every day of the new semester is a very broad, Hey, this is what health is. And being really honest and open and wanting to hear from my students' perspectives of where they've grown up, what have they learned in school? Um, what's their cultural background? All that good stuff. And so from that big picture of, hey, these are this is health as a whole, now we're going to start to zoom in on nutrition. 
and what we actually have control over, so to speak, with nutrition. Um, so from that big picture, I start to zoom into macronutrients, which are carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And I'm teaching what they are, why we need them, what they look like, what are the amounts that the average person needs, answering a lot of um, questions, doing a lot of myth, like debunking. Yeah, what are some of the top the top myth, myths that you have to debunk in class every semester? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I mean, car, car, are carbs bad? <laughs> yeah. I've heard carbs are bad. Uh, intermittent fasting is a big one, I think, ever since that came out. And um, usually I try and table that topic towards the beginning and promise that I will educate them on it because I do um, towards that, you know, once we're done with those macronutrients and micronutrients, then we can kind of um, move into different life stages of nutrition. And then we do talk about disordered eating and what like mm -hmm. healthy, adequate nutrition looks like. And so then I go into like, well, and this is why intermittent fasting is like a, is a hundred percent no, <laughs> you know? And they're like, oh yeah, we were kind of getting that. We were catching your drift, you know? <laughs> so they, they pretty much yeah, have that point, you know. Yeah, but it's, it's just yeah, a lot of the stuff that you hear in the media, you know? And, right. and a lot of what we hear in the media about nutrition is uh, like ch either cherry picked from research or it's taught by someone who doesn't have the credentials to be speaking on nutrition or doesn't have a wide enough, I guess, worldview or education to um, kind of, I don't know, take off their privilege glasses, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> right when we see all that stuff totally. on Instagram where it's like, and we will eat all organic and have these fancy deliveries. I'm like, who can do that? Right. <laughs> so it's a so lot of getting back to basics, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your typical response to like, especially carbs? Because mm -hmm. carbs just get so many reactions from so many people. The one like TikTok video I have that totally blew up was of course the one about carbs. Um, so what's your spiel that, I mean, I know anyone who follows me and probably you as well knows like we love carbs. They're great. Cool. Well, I, I definitely do a lot of education on carb utilization. So like, why do we need carbs? We need it for blood sugar regulation to have that spare energy source in our muscle glycogen and our liver glycogen. Um, and I specifically focus on the liver glycogen because at night, that's what really keeps us going, you know, when we're sleeping. And um, I also kind of educate on adequate carbohydrate intake prevents a binge on carbohydrates later. And a lot of that, like, really is a light bulb moment for a lot of people. They're like, oh, is that why I eat? like four sandwiches at night. And I'm like, yeah, cause you haven't had anything today. Right. Like who hasn't experienced that? It's so real. Totally. Yeah. So, um, I try and give them facts, right. And I give them research studies. Uh, there's a lot of good education in the nutrition book that, um, mm -hmm. that they read. So, um, kind of just factual information, debunking things. And we also talk a lot about, um, disease state prevention later on in the, um, semester, it's one of my favorite things to talk about because we can mitigate um, disease progression and development with nutrition a lot of the time, right? We can't totally prevent it because um, there are other factors that influence our health, but 
Mm-hmm. Specifically with carbohydrates, I talk about their ability to lower our cholesterol when we have soluble fiber from whole grains. That is the number one way that we can lower our cholesterol levels. And with all those light bulbs, they're kind of like, oh, wow, we've heard misinformation. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing to educate on because intuitive eating gets such a bad rap of, oh, you don't care about your health. You're not actually like talking about nutrition. And no, like it, I mean, I became a dietitian because I wanted to help people be healthy and like teach them about it. And we're just not going to teach anyone the lies. And so when you bring it to basics and teach people what's true, it's not super groundbreaking. It is because of just how wrong most of what we hear is, but um, it absolutely is still prioritizing health. Mm -hmm. Oh, 100%. Um, Yeah. And I mean, if you actually read the intuitive eating book, you know, there's an entire section on gentle nutrition, right? Which goes into like one twentieth of of the information that we were taught in school. Um, And so we can, of course, teach our clients more in-depth stuff with that. But you're right. Intuitive eating is a framework, Right. It's right. It's not saying screw health. It's just saying, hey, can we look at health in a more holistic lens and one that isn't shame based and is more like essentially self-compassion based. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So what kind of feedback do you get from your students? Like, do they use this in their personal lives? Does it change mm-hmm. their nutrition? And like, what do you tend to hear by the end of the semester or the year? Yeah. Oh, it's always a fun uh, time to get evals back. I get really nervous still, but um, (laughs) I get really good responses from my students. I always tell them my intention with this class is to improve your knowledge on basic nutrition, give you the actual facts, and to improve your day-to-day life, right? And um, to help you be better clinicians. So those three things, because I all, they're, they're all going into furthering their, their health education, most mostly. And um, a lot of them are really grateful and feel as if the time that I spend um, teaching them specifically about mental health, eating disorders, um, just like kind of normal, healthy nutrition is so incredibly beneficial to them mm-hmm. um, because they they've never gotten that anywhere else. And they've never had a professor that's like allowed them to um, speak openly about mental health. I, I also educate on therapy services that are at school, how they can get therapy through, through their insurance. I will even help my students do that like one-on-one. I just very much care that they get well-rounded care for themselves and know that health is not so simplified. And so typically I get good responses. Um, yeah. I, I don't, I think I really got yeah. a negative response. It other is than nuts. Just... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. It's, I was just going to say, it's so crazy. The lack of education on eating disorders, especially, yeah. I mean, obviously that's something we're both passionate about and treat. Mm-hmm. And I worked in a residential center for a while and I don't know about you in my graduate program, we had one guest lecture on eating disorders, which I'm so grateful for because it mm-hmm. sparked my interest. Um, but it was so much learning on the job. Like had I not chosen an internship in that field, I wouldn't know 90% of what I know. Same. Yeah. It's um, I think it's a, a huge shame that we don't educate the very people that are going to be on the care team for someone with an eating disorder. And I believe that it should be standardized in our education and 
I don't know. I think one day I'm like, you know, maybe I'll try and advocate for that when I have residual energy left at the end of the day. <laughs> one but, day. Um, you know, I, that's, and, but that's why I'm passionate to, to teach about it because I know that eating disorder education is um, severely lacking. And actually the reason I got the job at the college I teach at was because I was giving um, lectures on behalf of the Eating Disorder Foundation, a wonderful nonprofit here. Um, and I was doing them, I would spend, you know, two hours out of my week, you know, driving um, and then giving an education to either grade school, college, psychology class, you name it, on the services that the Eating Disorder Foundation provides free of cost. And also um, just general education on what eating disorders actually are and doing Q&A. Yeah. And that's how I got involved at, at the college because I gave a lecture there and I was like, you know what? I'd like to teach here and get paid. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So on the topic of eating disorders specifically, mm-hmm. obviously you are teaching future health professionals. And so there's a lot for them to know for screening yes. patients and all of that. But for maybe more of these volunteer lectures you did, like what are your take home points for the general public to know about eating disorders, to like look out for it in their friends and family or themselves, just kind of red flags for what they see from the media. Like what would be the biggest take home points for you? I think in terms of noticing signs and symptoms, a huge one is um, like isolating. So pulling away from activities, or if you notice someone in a social situation involving food, drinks, like the 4th of July this weekend or Christmas or something, and you notice them really struggling, you know, maybe they look distressed on their face or they, they're going to the restroom or they're putting stuff in napkins. That's a really big sign something's going on. So it's that isolation piece because eating disorders thrive in isolation. They do not do well when right when talked about or when in community. Um, hence the need for a lot of group therapy sessions and in treatment centers and stuff. Um, or family support. We, we see a lot of um, like better recovery rates when people have support, you know? And so um, that's a big thing I talk about. The biggest education point that I speak on is that eating disorders come in, um, ev- like eating disorders do not discriminate uh, anyone can have an eating disorder and you cannot look, I'm using air quotes for everybody listening, um, you cannot look like you have an eating disorder. That's really, that's outdated. Um, And we are like, that's just choosing to focus on weight, which is certainly not (laughs) the only thing that we're looking at in terms of, um, you know, eating disorders. And so I- Right, it's so important. Yeah. It's so, so important. And I think you know, that's why it's important to notice those other signs of like behavior, you know, Mm -hmm. how is that person's behavior changing? And it's such a, it's such an eye opener for so many people. I will tell my clients, you know, after working in a residential treatment center, I worked in a 12 bed facility where at any given time, maybe like one or two people was visibly underweight and would quote unquote look like they have an eating disorder mm-hmm. yet everyone was deserving of and required 24 yeah. seven care. And so yeah. it's just such a terrible uh, misconception and right. something that I think like, you know, I'm sure that you pass this on to your students and I try and tell just people in my life not to even use the language of like, Oh, so-and-so looks anorexic. because right. it's, That's just not a thing. No, I do the same. I think that's really important. Mm -hmm. And um, when I teach my 
you know, students in the semester long class. And um, when I, you know, I'm just giving a, a quick presentation. So I, I always try and, and call out um, the rampant weight stigma that is in our Western, uh, you know, medical system. Um, because I, I want, I believe that uh, Western medical providers have a good heart and they are just, you know, providing the, you know, care that they've been taught in their schooling. But um, a lot of it is perpetuating disordered eating, especially in individuals in larger bodies, because they're um, unaware that they are causing harm, right? They're unaware that eating disorders can happen in all bodies and that weight is not an accurate marker of health. So they're, you know, saying, hey, you need to go on this weight loss diet to, to get better health. They have no idea. They probably didn't even ask about an individual's eating habits and didn't even know that they could or um, they could be struggling with an eating disorder or disordered eating at that point and they're making it worse or they just initiated starting that diet, which oh, we know absolutely. will lead into an eating disorder pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. So and it goes both ways. Yeah. It goes both ways. And then like there's also the assumption that thin is healthy and mm -hmm. then, you know, they could do a disservice on that side as well. And I yeah. even had an experience where I was at a doctor's office and the doctor said to me, oh, you're thin. So you eat fruits and vegetables. And I was like, that's not how this works. Like you well, have no idea. Totally. And that happened to me too. And I was so offended. Um, yeah. I was like getting this whole workup. They're getting an extensive family history. Like cancer runs in my family. And he was specifically asking about certain stuff. He goes, yeah, but you're thin. We're not going to run that test. And I was like, excuse me, I would like you to run the test. I what? I know. I was so angry. And I just, it's, we are too dismissive um, in, in all the ways, right? We, we're making assumptions of individuals in larger bodies and we're making assumptions of people in smaller bodies. And we just need to scrap that and say, hey, tell me about your health. What do you do to take care of yourself? Yeah. Right. You tell an open-ended question that allows the client or the patient to be the center of that appointment so that the physician or the, the clinician can say, okay, cool. Now I have this information. What might an educated uh, recommendation be? Right. Rather than just assuming yeah. and then putting a blanket statement on stuff. It's just like, yeah. that's why I get so passionate yeah. to teach these nurses. Cause I'm like, you, you are the ones doing that. Hey, welcome to your appointment. Can you step on the scale? Or you're going to be in the room bedside with people and are going to have long-term conversations with them more so than just like a quick passing by or a quick one hour session. And so I, I want yeah. to educate you on, on all of this stuff so that you can be compassionate providers, you know? Yeah. And you just, for doctor's appointments, that whole stepping on the scale situation is a good point and such a relevant topic. Um, I'm curious what, you do, you know, I talk about this with my clients all the time and tips on how to handle it. Um, but I've never test driven myself because I personally will get weighed and get on the scale and I just doesn't really bother me. Um, do you not like, like, have you ever tried not to? And like, how does that go with the doctor? Um, so I did once because I wanted to practice and yeah, it was stressful. You should try um, because, yeah. the, you know, the reason they need that is for insurance and they need like three. They, so the, the, they need a piece of data in the weight section. And to my understanding, I know way too much about insurance now, but to my understanding, if you if they put denied in that line, it counts. 
Um, I don't know if that's every insurance company or every plan. Um, it counts as the required piece of information. Yeah. Denied. Ah, amazing. Ah, you know, they really, yeah, they really only need that if they're tracking specific things. Like, I mean, I'm thinking of a couple um, groups of people like, okay, individuals on dialysis, you've got to, you know, measure fluid balance. Um, right. Maybe for tracking eating disorder stuff, blind weights might be appropriate. Um, but right. like, or, or like, like medication. Yes. Yeah. But like, I can't think of another thing. Can you? No, honestly, like weight-based medication dosage is really the main thing I always think of. That is something that my clients would typically be encountering, um, which honestly doesn't even come up that often. Yeah. So yeah, someone, if I'm understanding correctly, you could even say if you get pushback from your provider, oh, you can just write denied. I think so. Um, It's really hard. It's easier easier to say it than to practice it. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, I think what I try and do is if, if the clinician seems like, um, open enough to learning, I, I recommend, um, cause they're like, well, what do you do? You know, when I'm there for my checkup or whatever, well, I say, well, I'm a dietitian and I work in eating disorder recovery or whatever. And if they are, you know, human to human with me and they ask me more, I say, you know, actually, if you'd be open to learning, I have a couple books because I'm sure you see individuals um, with all types of things coming into your office. And that is how I try and do the education piece because I feel like it gives them more like hard data, you know? So yeah. I try if I have that. Yeah, I've had some, I've had some attempted conversations with providers, not necessarily necessarily about my own weight, but just about, oh, well, how would you treat this? And how would you treat this if it wasn't a weight concern and all that? And unfortunately, um, have not had much success in opening anyone's mind, but who knows, maybe it was a planted seed and they have since looked into something. Mm -hmm. Um, And you will find good clinicians that will be open to learning. Like now I work with some really wonderful people that I've read. Um, I always recommend Sick Enough to, you know, everybody, but especially doctors, because I feel like it speaks their language, you know, and I've had a couple that have said it's one of the most influential books, um, like in their day-to-day, you know, kind of life. And I'm like, see, I told you. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah. I don't actually say that. In my head, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, you have to say it to yourself. Yeah. What are the books that you recommend more to like the average person who's maybe not a medical professional just to learn about mm-hmm. nutrition in a realistic way? Oh, that's an excellent question. I really don't. Yeah. When I are have... you going to write one? Maybe is the question. <laughs> maybe one day. Yeah. Like a super basic, I really would love to do that. That's, um, I feel like yeah. that's a cool. Um, yes. I really like um, Body Kindness by Rebecca Scritchfield. I was literally thinking that as you said mm-hmm. it. Yeah, that's a great I think one. she does a wonderful job at like overall health. And yeah, because that's what it is. I feel like if we look at nutrition like in a vacuum, then we miss all the other stuff, you know? And she's a dietitian and does an excellent job at saying, here's the nutrition part, but here's also other life things. And right. um, it's, that's, that's a really good baseline thing. But yeah, and a quick read. Quick read, yeah, and it's like interactive. It's colorful. I love colorful yeah, books. Very like actionable, and yeah, it's yes. it's a fun one like that. I don't know if she still maintains her podcast, but she also has a really good yeah. Podcast. I liked her podcast a lot. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I love we'll, we'll have to check too. on that. You can write it in your little <laughs> yeah. notes. But yeah, I so I'll have lots of notes and links. Yeah, I was going to say just some other things that I've noticed in nutrition education and yeah. when we just talk about nutrition as a whole is people's inability to um, to zoom out because I think we're so zoomed in, rightfully so, for certain yes. things. Like um, I was just listening to a really interesting podcast on like ultra processed food or what are things like what's coming through like the plastic that we are packaging our food in. And that's really zoomed in. And really good information. But we also have to take a step and be like, okay, I got that. Now I'm going to step back out and say, how does this apply to my, you know, diet as a whole? Am I going to go crazy and never eat an Oreo again? No, I would never do that. I love Oreos, you know, and that <laughs> considered an ultra processed food. I'm not sure, but you know what I mean? And, and I think that nutrition education does a disservice in that way. It's almost fear mongering. The, um, it is. Yeah, the class I took that in college at DePaul, which did not have a nutrition program, um, but kind of got me a little interested. Uh, it was very, it was so zoomed in that I was confused. I was like, how on earth do I fit this back into the world? You know, and um, DePaul as a whole did an amazing public health education. Like I got a health science degree and I'm, I'm so appreciative of that, but I didn't quite put it together till the end of school. And that nutrition class just made me hyper aware of like food tracking and like specific com like food combos that maybe were bad or good. And those labels were put on it. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm stressed right now. I didn't really, I feel like I didn't really learn about the holistic lens. And so I just, I think that's a, you know, a gentle criticism of classes as a whole. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some of it can be like useful kind of bonus tips, you know, whenever I tell clients about like adding vitamin C to their plant-based iron, like squeeze some lemon on your greens, like things that are going to be easy and taste good and make it more enjoyable. Like, yeah, amazing. But you're right. It is so hyper-focused and specific and, you know, people will be asking me, oh, well, are nightshade vegetables bad for you and you know my response is always think about what you just said is a vegetable bad for you <laughs> like sure. if we are at the point where we are demonizing vegetables we have bigger problems <laughs> this is just yeah. not know. realistic and it does i mean i am very very grateful that i my nutrition program was a, a master's in public health and mm -hmm. i think having that public health lens was so amazing, such an asset because we did focus heavily on social determinants of health and more that big picture. Um, and I think it would have been very different uh, for me otherwise. Yeah, for sure. Just back to that. I think there are certain uh, diagnoses, like I am learning more about autoimmune diseases and how nutrition impacts that. My mom has, um, she got diagnosed with RA two years ago and specific medications really interact poorly on the body and some nutrition changes can help. Like for example, maybe a nightshade situation, but it sounds like as a whole, and we both agree that as a whole, vegetables are good, frozen, fresh, whatever, but there can be some specific, if we zoom in to what an individual needs, sure, there might be some, some more specific nutrition stuff that needs to be. Absolutely. And that is still intuitive eating. And that's another wow. thing that I've gotten pushback on before. Like, oh, well, how can you say you're eating intuitively if you don't eat this because of X condition? And 
if the motivation is to feel better in your body, like absolutely that's intuitive. You know, it's not about appearance. It's not about weight loss. It's not about something you heard on the internet that's not even true. Like it is factual and life enhancing then like, yeah, amazing. So the, it's all very nuanced and these nutritional interventions can be so positive and can also be taken too far. Yes. I I think a good example of that would be uh, like someone with celiac disease, right? They cannot digest gluten. So, but they can still be intuitive eaters, right? Or rather take the butt out and add and, right? It's both and. (laughs) It's not, it's not um, just exclusive to people that can eat everything. That would be not fun. (laughs) That wouldn't be fair. No. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, it's such a bigger picture, which I think is like, our theme here. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I think it, that's why it's helpful to work with a professional, even for a couple of sessions. You know, I found that people, I see a lot of clients. I honestly, my, my eating disorder caseloads probably at like 50% now. And I do a lot of weight neutral, um, like medical nutrition therapy. Like I work with a, a doctor's office and do um, a lot of diabetes care, which I'm so passionate about because you can see like instant results that are like lifelong. So that's cool. Um, but I, you know, so I think that the intuitive eating theme is, is, um, been interesting to, to watch that nuance and for people to come, um, they maybe have read the books or they've heard of the word intuitive eating and it really only takes three, four sessions with, you know, a, a professional to say, Hey, but this is how we can tailor it to you. Because I think the book is a wonderful resource. Podcasts are a great resource, but it still says generally this is good, right. but we're not general. We're all unique individuals. Right. Absolutely. So what would be your like number one next step tip to somebody who's listening and is like, wow, I wish Connie were my professor. Like I can't take her class, but I want to learn about nutrition and there's it's information overload. Like what do I do to educate myself in the right way? Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, you know, I have two, I have two different answers. I think one utilize social media or providers that, you know, are trustworthy sources. Um, I also just remembered, I think Rachel Hartley has a book and she does a lot of, uh, gentle nutrition education. So maybe read Rachel's book. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah. that's really cool. Um, and if it is covered with your insurance or if you have an HSA or an FSA card, uh, find a dietitian, maybe like you or myself, or we have referrals for you to, and you can reach out on their contact form and say, Hey, I would like a session of basic nutrition education. I love those sessions. I am like, I will show them my teaching. Yeah. I like literally bring up my PowerPoints and I'm like, and class is starting. It's really fun. (laughs) And so I have clients that specifically just come to see me for two sessions to, to understand the building blocks of nutrition. They don't need like super tailored stuff. They're just curious and they know that they're getting it from a trusted source. So I would say if you can utilize something within your healthcare, um, or if you have the funds to do a private pay session, I know a lot of us do Q and a sessions or just general nutrition education. And that would be really mm-hmm. a good place. Cause then you can ask your individualized yeah. questions as well. Exactly. I've had clients who will say like, wow, it is so nice that I can just like 
ask you this stuff and I know that you're giving me the right answers, you know, right. like or, having one-on-one. Yeah. And if we don't know the answers, we can provide them with, um, with the data or the information. I have a lot of, you know, maybe skeptical clients and sometimes I'm like, you know what? I get it. I probably wouldn't believe it from me either. So yeah. how about some research? Do you want to kind of fish around in there? And that usually helps as well. So providing information, I think is another thing that I can do, you can do, we can put on our social media accounts of like, Hey, we read this study or Hey, this is a great place for basic information. So I think just yeah. picking a couple of clinicians to, to follow. It's a good step. Definitely. Yes. And I do, um, well, first I want to say I, it sounds like you're the same. I welcome the skepticism. I love it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I do. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like a great reminder because I can be so in the intuitive eating bubble that sometimes I think nobody has questions, nobody struggles, but there's so much misinformation. So mm -hmm. it's, it's great for me as well. And I do have a blog post of like non-diet media resources. Great. And I think that links to an Instagram post where I tagged a bunch of accounts that I like. So I will link to that so that people can follow from there, the like vetted um, accounts. And we both see one-on-one -on -one clients. You, do you want to give the rundown of like, are you accepting clients? What insurance you take? Where you can see people? Sure. Um, let's see. Am I taking new clients? I am. I think if you are looking to do more work and you could potentially wait until the fall, I am for sure accepting new clients then. I am planning to actually take like two or three weeks where I'm working minimally because I have not taken time off since getting my degree. So um, just time. Doing <laughs> a little bit of pause on things later this summer. But yes, I'm accepting new clients. Um, I take Cigna insurance, pretty Cigna and United Healthcare. So that is pretty much acceptable only within Colorado, but I'm happy to provide a super bill to your insurance saying that we did a telehealth session if I can see you in your state. And sometimes they reimburse for that. Sometimes they do not. Um, and then you can also, like I said, pay with sessions with an FSA card or an HSA, like a health savings account, if your you know, company gives you that. And um, what else? I think those are... Yeah, I offer those Q&A sessions that are pretty quick and easy. Um, and also becoming more of like a longer-term client is an option as well. And as far as states, I believe I have that listed on my website because they change, I feel like, every couple of weeks because that yeah. map on the academy. Um, I will say I am licensed right. in Washington, um, which they didn't have licensure before, but now they do because I have several clients there. So if you're in Washington, I can for sure see you. Um, and Great. Colorado, California. Colorado. Amazing. Cool. Yeah. And um, I see one-on-one -on -one clients as well. Do those nutrition education sessions or like disease state specific um, depending on conditions. So for like celiac, whatever. Um, yeah. And then within my group program, I do offer an option that has individual check-ins once a month, which is another great like Q&A option. Oh, awesome. Um, amazing. So yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to add, Connie, on like nutrition education, takeaways for people, really points to bring home? I think this is just my spiel always that clients are the drivers of sessions and of care. And so if you ever feel like 
you have a provider that isn't giving you the time of day or doesn't totally vibe with you, it's okay to find a new one because everybody deserves that compassionate care um, as, as tough as it is to find. But I just want to empower people to know that they're worthy of that. Um, and I think that point that we said in the beginning of we got to make sure we're eating enough food first. And usually because of the conditioning that we've got from society, we're kind of lacking on that. A lot of us. So Absolutely. do a check in. Yeah. yeah. That you're adequately fueling yourself and, and honoring those, those cues to the best of your ability. Amazing. And quick note on providers. I know it is, like you said, so hard to find the right fit provider. Um, maybe not necessarily dietitian. I know like we, both see clients and have kind of wide networks, but for more so medical providers, I know I have a list of referrals in New York. Do you have like a lot of good people in Colorado if anyone is looking and wanted to reach out? I have a couple. Uh, some of, yeah, so we also have the Gaudiani Clinic here too. So that's eating disorder specific outpatient care. Yes, I mean, um, so that is a wonderful resource, um, something to look into. And I do, I work with an endocrinologist that's really cool in Colorado. Oh, great. Um, but as far as like general PCPs, I am, I am searching because uh, it's been, it's been pretty difficult. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I know, okay. I'm pretty sure that there's a search function. There might be a search function on the Association for Size, Diversity, and Health. I, I feel what like I have that correct. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, but yes, I'm always happy to, if I, if I, someone needs a resource, if they shoot me an email, I'm usually pretty good at trying to find someone, um, for you. Great. So amazing. Yeah. And I will look for that function and if it exists, it will be linked. Um, yeah, I cool. hope it is. <laughs> I hope I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing as a resource. Yeah. I should know about that. That's also a great resource. That's, I use their PowerPoints when I teach my students, um, yeah. so they have a free downloadable PowerPoint on the association for size, diversity and health website talks a lot about weight stigma, set point weight, um, all the, all that good stuff and to eating is really cool. and I think that's the best resource to find that information. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. This episode is going to have the most links yet. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. So if people do want to get in touch with you or just follow along with what you're doing. What's the best place to find you? So my Instagram is at constantly eating my name, Constance L Y eating. Um, and that links to my website and all that stuff. So once you get to my website, you could submit a contact form. I do speaking events. Um, I like going on podcasts, all that good stuff. So okay. I think that's, those are the two best places to find me. Awesome. Great. And like everything else, it'll be <laughs> awesome. Oh, this is so thanks fun. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, and we could talk forever. We'll have to chat again. Yes, that sounds great. And there you have it. That is our show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Connie. We had so much fun. She's so wonderful to talk to. And hopefully it gave you some insightful takeaways that will help you in your own perspective on health and nutrition and all things wellness. So if you did enjoy it, definitely go follow her on Instagram where you can connect with her over there. Follow me on Instagram. Everything will be linked below, including all of the resources that we talked about. 
And if you're liking the show, definitely click on over to give it a five-star rating and review. I would so appreciate that, and I love reading those. Um, And tune back in next week. We have another fun episode coming up, so check out the ones that are already published, and stay tuned every week. Thanks.